we're yeah, 30 seconds it. late. Here we go. And we're live once again. Episode 56 of Maker That Money, the podcast where we talk about turning your hobby into your jobby. Good morning, everybody, or good evening, or depending on where in the world you're coming from. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Pooch of RepCord. With me, as always, my trusty co-host, Mr. Andrew Mayhall over there on the uh, right side, my left, your right. And our special guest for today, Mr. Josh Manley, co-owner of CADclass.org. Josh, welcome. Thank you for joining us on the pod this morning. How are you, my friend? Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, no, do, doing great here. It's a little hot in Sacramento, so I know. You know. See, now you're a, you're a fellow uh, Sacramentite. I don't know what to say that. Yeah. So I'm in the I'm in the <laughs> greater Sacramento area as well, and we met through some networking uh, locally. Uh, and I know you're new to the area and stuff too. But we went immediately from uh, cold to hot, as we are known yeah. to do. You know, <laughs> so we go to fr from freezing to sneezing to uh, you know sweating just in a very short period of time and then repeat uh, that's the weather cycle here but uh welcome you are co-owner of cadclass.org why don't you tell everybody uh what that is and and give us a quick background if you would yeah awesome thanks so much for having me guys i love doing these types of things and and uh you know hopefully sharing what i know and giving some value to the folks listening so um, I am, like you said, I, I, meet, I recently moved to Sacramento from Southern California. I actually started in Ohio. You know, we can go way back in the journey, but I'll keep it oh, brief. Wow. Started in Ohio. So like grew up in Ohio, got out of there, moved to New York City. That's where I started my first business at tutoring, science tutoring, Ooh. math, chemistry, test prep, you know, all kinds of things like that. I had a background in science. I had done science in labs. I have a couple of publications and uh, it's published. Kind of, yeah. We're really up in our game now with the published uh, yeah. people here. So then I, uh, I lived in New York City for about six years. Uh, my girlfriend's from SoCal. So she's like, hey, you want to wanna go to SoCal? And I said, yeah, I'm about done with this. So uh, about four years into running my science tutoring company, I just, I don't know what it is. I think a lot of makers can relate to this, but I just was like, I need to make stuff. I need to make <laughs> stuff. Like I'm tired of talking about theories and yeah, I love science. I could talk about it all day, but like, I want to, I want to get my hands on stuff. So four years yeah. in, I started annoying all my friends. Like, Hey, I, I need to figure out how to like make stuff. Can I apprentice with somebody who does woodworking? Like I need to figure this stuff out. I had a handy father and a handy stepfather and my whole family makes stuff. And, and it just, I'd kind of shunned it until that point. And it just, it caught up with me. It's like, no, we're, we're here to do this. So, <laughs> nice. so four years into running my business, I was like, I need to figure out how to make stuff. I'm like carving wine corks with a knife and oh, wow. just like in my tiny little studio in New York City, because you got you live in a closet in New York. Right. And yeah. so I was just like, I was starting to get my hands on stuff, but didn't really know where to go. There was a couple fab labs there that weren't great at the time. Okay. They had like a drill press and a 3D printer and called themselves a fab lab, fab lab which is fine. <laughs> you know, sure. I, I support that, but it wasn't quite for me. Yeah. So then I got an opportunity to move to Southern California and I wound my business down and I said, I'm going to start it. I'm starting fresh out in California and I'm going to try to, I want to do two things. I want to teach. I still love teaching and I want to make stuff. And my friends were all like, yeah, so what are you going to do? So and I'm like, I don't know. I want to teach and I want to make things. So I got out to Southern California, kind of noodled around for a bit. And then I uh, started to kind of, kind of hear about this makerspace movement Yeah. and Googled it. And it turns out one of the top makerspaces in the country was a 20 minute bike ride for me. So I'm like, all right like dropped what I was doing that day. I rode my bike over there 
took a tour of the facility, 30,000 square feet. It's called Urban Workshop. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. This like, is the this, one. This, is the, this is the thing. This <laughs> yeah. is what I've been looking for. Yeah. And I knew it, like, right away. So then I went from touring the facility to, like, pitching for a job, basically, as I'm walking around. Like, oh, hey, you know, I can, like, yeah. do these things, right? And so I, was, I just sort of persisted and um, came back in a second time and uh, caught – the owner was there, Steve. And I caught him when he was there and, and I said, hey, you know, how do I get involved? Like, I've got a background in teaching. I don't necessarily know how to make things yet, I said, but I'm pretty motivated to figure it out. Sure. And, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? It turns out like the day that I approached him, one of his employees that was running a program called Mobile Makerspace, where we take truck and trailer out and teach kids everywhere, yeah. had quit. And he's like, actually, we why don't you interview with the program manager? And that's fortuitous. Yeah. He's, he's kind of like, what can yeah. you do? And I'm like, well, I, I've ridden my bike for years. I can fix my bike. There you go. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm like, I, I said, I don't know. I, not a lot. I've built a couple small things, but uh, I'm motivated to learn. I'll figure it out. And, and that's fortunately for me. And that's the key. And that's the common thread. So we, we mm -hmm. hit it off right away on multiple force. You're, 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 you're a multiple, you know, entre entrepreneur through and through. Uh, you know, had multiple ventures, but obviously that that maker spirit is alive and well in you. That thirst for being hands on uh, to learn. A lot of times, it's just a willingness to figure it out, right? It's not it's not about what you know. It's not book smarts. It's you know, it's like, hey, how do we get in here? How do we figure stuff out? How do we fail? How do we fail fast? All that kind of stuff, and we love that. And um, I like you uh, came up. Uh, you know, my first. Um, space outside of my garage was in a co-working space in a maker space and so they're near and dear to me andrew i know you've had experience with local maker spaces where mm -hmm. you are as well so we're going to get into all of that so today's topic is making the business cases for maker spaces because i i know that just you know i gotta have something that rolls off the tongue but um <laughs> part of the challenge of it as well is I don't know about you guys, but I've come across a number of them that, you know, the intentions are good, but the execution is poor. And ultimately, there's been a lot of failure mm -hmm. in that space. Not all. There are success stories, but we want to get into that. And Josh, I know you have some experience now, having been involved, doing consulting, helping setting up. You, you, you've worked your way up to operating a makerspace as well. I probably cut you off before you even got to that point. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 So, so I, you know, I took a job, basically started, I volunteered for a couple of weeks and then um, I got hired part time and then I just threw myself at it as hard as I could. So I'm at home, I'm making stuff after work. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like learning from a fire hose. I mean, it was, the, yeah. it was, it was the best learning experience of my whole life. Yeah. And I studied pharmacy, right? Like I studied some hard stuff, but like <laughs> this just took the cake and it's like, I walk into Home Depot and there's a wall of 3000 screws and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I'm screwed. Uh, <laughs> hey, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I got to use that one. But I'm like, this is completely Get overwhelming. What, yeah. in the, yeah. what is all this stuff? You know, like, so I, you know, I start and then I get a full time position there and then I take over the youth program and then eventually I run the whole education department. And yeah. that's a thousand kids a year and two, three thousand adults a year and 250 wow. different classes, wood, metal, welding, lasers, 3D printing, everything else like that. Um, so it's a really robust program. Probably I haven't seen, and I've been searching, I haven't seen a lot of youth programs that can really compete with their. This is urban, urban maker. You said? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I worked my way up, ended up managing the facility during COVID, which. Wow. Was, yeah. Uh, Hardest time, right? <laughs> uh, man. Horrendous challenge, right? As if maker spaces aren't hard enough to run and operate. I know. Like, 
anybody yeah. who runs these things, there's there's sort of two camps of people, right? The people that run them and are like, oh my God, this is really hard. And then the camp of people that are like, this is the greatest idea ever. I wish I would have thought of this. And my, my response to that was always like, no, you don't. Like, <laughs> this is you brutal. Think? So anyway, so then yeah. I, you know, I worked my way up to actually running that space. And that was where I started to come up with this idea of CAD class. You know, running the space, we're teaching CAD classes, we're teaching computer software-based classes. One of the things that in-person makerspaces do really well yeah. is get your hands on stuff, physical mm -hmm. stuff, right? right? But as you know, like a lot of making, especially in the 3D printing world, you, you need to know how to CAD model. Um, if, you're, yep. if it's Arduino, you need to know some programming. Yeah. You know, a lot of it is drag and drop, but you, you've got to know enough to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. in those. And then if you're trying to develop a product, you need to know Photoshop and Illustrator and so there's this heavy software side of things that I think uh, in general makerspaces don't touch upon very often. So I just started to have this noodling around in my head like, oh, wow, we're teaching a CAD class. People come in here for three hours. They learn a little bit and they definitely go home and forget it all. Yeah. Like YouTube's got to be better at teaching CAD than we are. And I think that was, <laughs> you know, I think that was true. But for a lot of people, they're like, at least we can get started here. So, yeah. so I'm yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. CAD class and uh, my significant other and I moved up here to Sacramento and... So I had to say goodbye to that job. And when I did, um, that's, I, that's where I met my business partner, Jake, who's amazing. And I'll go into him a little bit later too. But sure, uh, the two of us were kind of like, well, let's do CAD class better. Let's just, you know, let's just figure out a way to teach this online. And let's figure out a way to do this so that it's fun and sequential. And the projects are interesting and they're relevant to what you actually make in the shop. And like, yeah. there's got to be a better way to do this. And so when I, when I wound that down when I wound working that down, uh, we just threw ourselves into CAD class full time. What I uh, what I love about that really quick is, mm -hmm. it, and Andrea, I think you'll probably agree with me. CAD is is so foundational to so much of making a mm -hmm. lot of the time. Like yep. it's 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 the napkin sketch, but obviously on the computer a lot of time it's a starting point. It's the like I said, it's the foundation of a lot of this. And so I think you, I, the fact that you identified that early on and said, there's a need here, you know, and I, I kind of giggled when you said, oh, YouTube has got to be better at this because, you know, when we were talking, it's like, well, yeah, there's a ton of resources, but you want to talk about drinking from a fire hose and then you don't know like <laughs> yeah. what, what stuff's dated and there's a million Yeah, your fire hose tools. is broken. It's coming out the sides. You yeah, know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's all over the place. <laughs> It's all over the place. Yeah, so yeah. so th th that's a great, and we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. I want to pause for a second. Um, we're going to put you on the spot, Josh. You're great at thinking on your feet. Um, one of the things that we do at the top of the show every week, we are a positive people here. We try to focus on a win for the week. So everybody uh, gets to share and uh, everybody in the chat. First of all, I haven't acknowledged our chat. I'm remiss in that. I apologize. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> a lot of good, uh, uh, faces, some new faces, big Jano. Good to see you here. A lot of our friends from uh, Rocky mountain rep rap festival that we were just at are, are tuned in yep. this morning. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, mm -hmm. as always feel free to, uh, put, put questions in the chat. If you have questions for us or Josh, we welcome them. We also have the maker that money hotline, uh, if you want to call in and chat with us in person, if you are a brave soul and want to do so, we can uh, accommodate you there as well. But uh, for this week, we are going to do wins for the week. I'm going to start with Andrew so that Josh gets a second to think you about like, start with, with something positive. <laughs> do you want me to start? I can start. I never No, start. no, no. It's all good. That's fine. I do always start because I, I use that time to think about mine as well. So one positive thing that's happened in your life, if you're in the chat, please share a win 
that you've had as well. And it can be anything. It can be personal life. It can be business life. Uh, just something good that happened to you so that we're we're focusing on some good energy. Andrew, what do you got? Yeah, well, I'm going to steal the one from, you know, like last week where, you know, going out to, you know, Rocky Mountain Rep Rap Festival. Expand. Yeah. So, so, you know, that was it was it was awesome um, being able to hang out with everyone there and, uh, you know, kind of feel energized now that I'm back. Um, you know, here at Gloop, we're working on some really cool projects for the next display, the next show that we're going to be at, which uh, I believe should be Murph. Um, you know, we'll, where we will be boothing. Um, so Oof. hopefully, you know, if, if things are going great right now, you know, we're going to be able to keep forward and keep pushing and, you know, get those, those projects going. <laughs> That's fantastic. So. All right, Josh, what's something good that happened to you this week? Uh, we got our book off of the editor's desk. So that's huge. We're, uh, yeah. So we are wow. now in full on put it in InDesign mode. Oh, um, right. so, okay. Yeah, what, now, really, what does really, that mean for those of us that haven't published in the past? It means pain is what it means. means pain. Uh, it means uh, you get to learn more, you know, you get to learn more software. Okay. Right? So you get to learn more. Oh. So basically, we wrote the book in Google Docs. And then oh, oh, okay. transferred that to Word because we were having issues managing the photos in Google Docs. And then only to realize like, oh, we're going to need to put this actually in a separate program for publishing called Adobe InDesign, which yeah. there's many programs that do it. Sure. Um, but an actual so page layout program. Yeah. I, I, page came, layout, I came exactly. from the print publishing. space, so I'm very familiar. Yeah. Okay, cool. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're really excited about it because we got it. We give ourselves a deadline of June 1st to have it out and live on Amazon and in bookstores and and for those of it, we'll have some free copies of it in, in, as a PDF as well. Awesome. Um, but awesome. we got that off the editor's desk and we're just really excited about it. So now just yeah, re really quick, is this meant to be like a companion to some of your online video content? So it's yeah, kind of we, for those that want to, we took, okay. so we took the 28 projects that we built originally as the video course yep. and we made them a book. Yeah. And wow. it's exactly the same. And the thought was like, Hey, some people learn best by book. Some people learn best by video. Um, we've got actually, there is a kind of unique aspect. I haven't heard about a lot of people doing this and I want to like yell about it because I think it's really interesting. And that is um, each project in the book is actually linked to a discord server. So oh, it has cool. like, if you're working oh. through it and you get stuck, which you will, because learning fusion is hard, right? So yeah. we're teaching fusion 360 okay. CAD okay. software. Yeah. Uh, but if you get stuck, then you just pop into the discord server and it's linked to the project you're working on. That's and really I clever. Seen, I, like I haven't that. seen other books do this and I can't really figure out why, but like, Hey, if there's anybody out there that's thinking about publishing like a how to or a step-by-step -step tutorial book really recommend like building that. That's so and we already have that as a part of the online class. So the folks in the online class get stuck working through the Saturn five rocket or building a skateboard. Yeah. They can just hop onto the server, get their questions answered immediately by us or the community. Uh, often it's the community of people, right? Like, share a screenshot. Here's where I'm stuck. What's going wrong. Right. Um, so it's just like, kind of a new way to think about books and book publishing. So I don't want to plug this too long because I want to talk makerspaces. But um, yeah, I think anybody else thinking about writing a tutorial That's incredible, book, like, though. Put, put discussion forms yeah. on it. Yeah, you got a lot of irons in the fire. That's awesome. For, if you guys haven't already uh, gone to check it out, I know there's a lot of people that love Fusion. I use Fusion. There's always new stuff to learn. And I love that model of uh, tying in Discord. Uh, I think that's a great, great idea. Check out cadclass.org. Uh, a lot of cool little functional tutorials like you said that that tie into other passions if you're into rocketry if you're into skating like there's something for everybody on there which is just nice so well done on that 
on that front, Josh. And congrats on on getting off the uh, editor's desk. That's a big step. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with something a little bit more that I've been like a check in a bucket list thing off. I've been, uh, as Andrew mentioned, we, we just got back from Denver. Uh, Josh, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to go into these rep rap festivals. It's uh, traditionally like in the 3d printing space, but lots of major maker centric stuff. It's not just 3d printing some somewhat like a maker fair, but a little bit more specific to 3d printing. Um, so this was the inaugural one, uh, out of Denver, the guys that put that on did just a great job. It exceeded expectations. Uh, attendance blew everyone away. It was fantastic. I'd been to Denver a number of times. And when I think Denver, I think Rocky mountains and all that stuff, except for if you've ever been to Denver, most of where you are is like the flatlands. Right. And so it's like you, you're teased <laughs> by the Rocky mountains, but you're not really in the Rocky mountains unless you drive about an hour yeah. to the West. And so, uh, my buddy uh, Stefan from CNC Kitchen uh, and I said, you know what? We're going to take this opportunity and actually go to the Rockies. And so we drove out to uh, Estes and did this uh, cool little peak-to-peak drive. And it was I mean, we experienced all seasons, like, basically in one. You're driving through this canyon, then you're going up, and there's snow-capped mountains. And, like, it was actually snowing. And then we came down into Boulder, and I'd never been to Boulder before. Uh, so really cool college town. Um, neat neat vibe there. And then we did an actual hike, uh, in in a little place called the flat irons, which was just great. So it was like, you know, good hiking, like good, moderate, uh, good exercise. You get some good elevation, some bouldering at the top, a lot of fun. So I can now check off saying like, I have been to the Rocky mountains. That is my win. That's for the win. week nice Love the mountains, especially uh, the i do uh man i do i do too so uh and stefan was like oh we're not gonna get altitude sickness are we? Like, no no i don't think it's quite that high you know um <laughs> you know you hear the rocky That's mountain awesome. high i mean it is a mile high city and then we're you're, we're going up mm-hmm. but it's not like when you go you know uh visit the the andes or uh you know machu picchu or something like that where it's like crazy mm-hmm. crazy high elevation but uh, that that was good. Uh, some wins in the chat. Something good. Uh, Royal Nomi, good to see you, Nomi. Uh, something good this week. Met with another organization uh, that she assists with, uh, making kids happy, basically donating prints to underprivileged children in the area. That is awesome. Super special. Love reading that. Love finding good uh, printing, 3D printing options that bring joy to children and to others that is uh good work you're doing there know me thank you for sharing that okay um let's try to to drive it back in uh (laughs) last last bit call to action i thank all of you guys for being with us if you haven't already please do the like subscribe thing tell a friend we love maker entrepreneurship stories that can encapsulate all kinds of stuff I know Andrew and I got our our start in mm-hmm. kind of 3D printing uh, and makerspace, but I've expanded. We do laser cutting. We do all of that stuff. Like Josh, uh, I love working with my hands. I think we all have the common thread of we just want to make cool stuff. And yep. it's pretty special when you're able to take your hobby, your passion, and make a living out of it. And there's a million different ways you can go about doing that, whether you're educating like Josh is, whether you're running a makerspace, having your own makerspace, whether you're uh, making products, uh, lots of different ways, Mm -hmm. lots of different ground to cover. Uh, If you're interested in being on the podcast in the future, feel free to send us an email. Um, We now have an email, mtm at repcord.com. You can reach us that way or any of our uh, social media handles. We're all very active on on Twitter and and the others as well. So 
uh, please, please feel free to reach out and share your story. We love talking about maker entrepreneurship and the challenges that that presents. Mm-hmm. This week, we're talking specific about something, like I said, that's near and dear to us, makerspaces. So, Andrew, I want to give you an opportunity because we've been kind of stealing the spotlight a little too much here. <laughs> I want you to talk about your, your experience with makerspaces, what you think of when you think of it, because we got to define what does that mean? That's actually kind of a broad term. There are a lot of different sure. types of makerspace. What mm-hmm. is your experience with makerspaces and what do you think of when you hear you know? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, so my first experience with makerspaces was actually here in St. Louis, and it wasn't really a makerspace, more so what they called a hackerspace. Uh, this was where basically a bunch of individuals just got together. They're like, hey, could we lease out a workshop all together and put all of our junk there right. and we could all just hang yeah. out and make cool stuff right right <laughs> and you know these were these were people who you know like had engineering day jobs or you know were tinkerers and makers right but this was back in i think 2008 2009 okay um you know, so, you know, quite, quite a few years ago, but, um, uh, you know, in the in St. Louis area, there wasn't really any makerspaces. Now, St. Louis was manufacturing hub. We made stuff all the time, but there was no like space you could go to like, oh, hey, I, I've got this idea. I, I need access to equipment. It was just you knew people who had access to equipment. And, you know, it was just like this hacker space kind of formed out of, right. hey, we have equipment, like, let's just share it with each other. So kind of I've like got a, a the co-op a model. Printer. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The, the commune, so, the, the maker commune. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I've seen those. And I, I could remember, <laughs> I could remember that it was so disorganized because oh, literally just imagine a bunch of people just getting together and then like leasing this rundown building, like, you know, completely like just, it's terrible. Like there's no floors, there's no walls. Like it's just like, you know, construction zone. And they're like, Oh yeah, here's our woodworking area. And you know, it consists of like a table saw and maybe a bandsaw or whatever. And then they have like 3d printers, like, and back in the day, that was like the, you know, the cupcake CNC's and stuff, Yeah, you know, just starting MakerBot was just getting started. Yeah. Um, you know, and like DIY things all over the place, like half finished projects on the walls. Yeah. (laughs) So in a lot of ways, that's like endearing, I think to a lot of us, but, but at the same time, like the, the business owner in me is like mortified by it because it's just like, how can you get anything done? There's like safety. But again, they're never Mm -hmm. the same thing to everybody. Right. Like that's part of the challenge of it. uh, When you're trying to manage a space and people have a different expectation of what it should be. Hey, I just want to come and have some beers and walk around and talk about cool stuff and, you know, strike up conversations. And there's other people that are like, no, I'm, I'm here to learn and I have a limited mm-hmm. amount of time or they're there because it's, you know, they're trying to get a, a project done or, or get a business product off the ground. So, so Josh, you've done a number of these. First of all, what, what are you thinking of? What kind of versions of makerspaces have you seen and had experience with? Go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So uh, all kinds. So the first one that I worked at was a for-profit, uh, privately owned, one one person owned it, there no outside funding makerspace, right? But um, you had you had some of the early makerspaces that were VC funded, right? So yeah. you had mm-hmm. um, Tech Shop was the big example, right? Let's throw a bunch of money into this because this is the coolest idea ever. Everybody right. really loves it, right? Right, right, right. Um, I, do, I do teach one class a week at the Sacramento City College. Makerspace teaching their CNC course uh-huh. and and also working with CAD class 
with their students. Okay. Um, so there's the there's the makerspace that's privately owned. I do volunteer and spend some time advising the board at a place called Community Shop Class, which is um, not for profit, nonprofit, not nonprofit. Yeah. It's a nonprofit or it's, it's a, a nonprofit makerspace. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I do consulting a little bit with some for-profit makerspaces. Um, I built out the the Mozak, the Museum of Science and Curiosity has a makers facility inside for their for their kids program. Now it'll probably be for the adults too. Sure. But um I built that facility out for them. So I've kind of there's a lot of different models. They exist inside of that because this is kind of how I think of it. Like they exist inside of institutions and yeah. they're institutionally funded. Mm-hmm. Yes. They are privately funded. They are nonprofit and sometimes funded by grants, but a lot of times just kind of somebody started it and then started like kind of asking for money, which is community shop class here in Sacramento. That's how they mm-hmm. work. Okay. Um, so, and then there's the kind of the co-op. Somebody has a garage, somebody has a little space. Right. I actually had somebody in Utah reach out to me. They wanted to put a small makerspace in. They wanted me to run it. They offered to give me a building for free for two years to do it. I'm like, I don't want to, <laughs> yeah. um, I, it you, sounds no. great. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it yeah. sounds really good. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and then there's military maker spaces, right? So they're innovation oh, labs, innovation one. studios. They're yeah. inside of middle schools, high schools, grade schools. There's mm-hmm. libraries, right? Libraries are another one. And uh-huh, so uh-huh. there's just inside of each of these categories, there's just a huge number of different ways to go about it. So I think mm-hmm. when you're making a business case for a makerspace, it very much depends on what style of makerspace you are. And I know I just had, I just chatted with Dale Deutery yesterday from Make Magazine, and this is the conversation we had. It's yeah. like, we almost need a classification for what it is. It's you, like, you totally what, do. Like a word right. for mm-hmm. the different yeah. types well, th- of makerspace. That's what I was going to say. It's like the, the word itself mm-hmm. sometimes is almost tainted. Like, I think it evokes different emotions for different people, right? Like, like, and, and mm-hmm. first of all, tell us in the chat. What kind of makerspaces you've been around? What you think works? What doesn't? We want to hear what uh, what everybody has been involved in because, like you said, it's a broad thing. But when I hear the term makerspace, there's almost like I hate to say it, but that term like evokes more the co-op, disorganized, just mm-hmm. like like it's hard yep. to take it seriously. And I don't know if that's just me wearing my business hat a little bit too much, or I'm biased because of my personal experience with like a couple failed maker spaces. What is it that you guys classify? So I think there's people that are trying to rebrand uh, sun, the sun turtle camper mm-hmm. is talking about uh, a fab lab, right? You know, we hear, yeah. we hear, yeah, exactly. we hear different Another terms model. or hacker yeah. space or people are trying yeah. to like yeah. make it sound a little bit more sexy, or maybe that defines more of a subset of what is being made or what its purpose is. Right. So we, there's, there's any different number of ways we can cut this pie up. What do you guys think mm-hmm. when you hear the term makerspace? And is that, is that, I mean, it's the same thing with maker, right? Maker just means mm-hmm. such a broad thing. And I think it evokes a hobbyist mentality for me. Um, it's, it's hard mm-hmm. to think of that as a, as a, a professional entity. I don't know. Am I alone in that? What do you guys think? I mean, I agree, I, you know, in so many ways, you know, I, and I think it's probably like you mentioned, Pooch, it was it, it kind of tainted from, you know, past maker spaces that had come up and then failed, mm. um, you, you know, so like, for instance, you know, St. Louis got a tech shop, um, I think it was about five years ago, okay. and it made it about a year maybe oh, and wow, then that's tech not shop good. just went a completely year. belly up right mm, okay yeah so and you know it just that that was it and i even remember like the the tech shop you know at our local area 
was so kind of mismanaged and misrun and not organized in any way in which it made sense. And, you know, like it just it got really confusing, like, oh, well, how do you book out the equipment? Uh, you know, like all of the equipment was free for anyone to book out for any period of time. Right. But, you know, people weren't there. And then, it, you know, you couldn't actually use the equipment. And and who owns it, it when got, it break or gets broken it, or somebody's not cleaning mm -hmm. up after that? Like there has to be somebody to own yeah. it. Right. Yeah. That's where yeah. the co-op so model I, seems to fail big time, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And what, what's funny, though, is, is that we have this hackerspace that's still around today and it's still thriving and it started all of those years ago. Okay. And it's just, again, kind of a co-op, but it's more of a, you know, everyone kind of mutually respects each other's equipment that they have in there. And that, that you know, there's kind of this accountability that okay. goes in where I think it's kind of missing in some cases. Now we've mm. since had a new maker space come in, um, you know, in kind of in the vacuum that tech shop left and it's much more well-organized and run. And, mm. you know, it is the embodiment of what I think now a makerspace is where it's a commercial entity that you go in, you rent the tools for the time. There are classes there that you can learn. Um, but uh, you know, I think, you know, there are absolutely areas where they could expand because, you know, as we were talking earlier in the show and Josh was mentioning like so much of, you know, being a maker involves learning, but you have to have a foundation yeah. and most of that foundation isn't very well, you know, taught to these people. Mm -hmm. And then they're just like kind of fumbling around, figuring it out. And you know, it's just, it's kind of like a place where you go and play almost now, mm -hmm. instead of actually being a place where you could go and turn, you know, ideas into products. Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I get, I get that. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I what think, do you think, Josh? Yeah. What's, what does yeah, maker mean to you? I, I think I agree and I disagree. So um, like, it's like it, some of these facilities, I think the best facilities that I've been in managed to combine both where you have creatives that are mm -hmm. in there that are tinkering and hacking around and doing really wacky, fun, weird stuff. I think that really gets us excited, you know, mm -hmm. and then you've got mm -hmm. legitimate businesses that are also run out of it. And the trick is to try to find the balance, which is probably an impossible it, trick it's right it is uh, yeah but the term maker i think um i've thought a lot about the term maker my my biggest issue with it is actually that when you tell people like when i used to tell people i you know i i run education at a makerspace the biggest thing was what the heck is that what is that and mm -hmm. so i think the same thing like hacker hacker space has unfortunately a, at least to me like a somewhat negative connotation in mm -hmm. in the general society hackers something that's like below the shirt sure. it's like doing bad things so i think even though i i like it because it gives me that that grungy sense of like what must have uh -huh. happened in the most innovative facilities in the world right um i think the general population hears it and they think kind of like a well, what sort of nefarious stuff is going on around there <laughs> um so yeah. I, I honestly like i don't love the term maker and i don't love the term maker space but i've never been able to come up with a better one. i know i know and i right? thought a lot about it so i'm gonna stick with it and just say it is what it is and just like makers evolve the term maker mm. will evolve along with it and as those facilities get better i think it'll kind of a rising boat raises you right or a rising tide raises all the boats it's like yeah. it would just kind of this is where we are and the next two three cycles of iteration around this will just be better because everybody's learned from sure. everybody else. So I, I don't know. I could, I could ramble on about that for a while. <laughs> Tough term. I don't know what to do about it. I'm, I'm but, so with yeah. you though. It's like, it's the best term that we've been able to find because we want to be inclusive and encapsulate a lot of the things, but a lot of the challenge of the space, like we said, is because we're trying to be everything to everyone that it, it makes it so amorphous. It makes it hard 
to uh, focus from from a business standpoint, that's a really, really tough thing, right? Like it is not easy to be everything. You know, a lot of the the common wisdom we hear in business is like you need to focus on, you know, one or two focus, focus, right? And (laughs) and you live or die by organization. Um, Let's go a little deeper on the business side of things because the way these are funded, okay, where is the money coming from? Uh, is yeah. oftentimes where these things seem to live or die, right? And so the ones that I see that, yep. that go on oftentimes have a large institution tied to them or, or repeat grant funding or stuff like that because it's, you know, counting on people to just come in and pay memberships and all that stuff is a totally different model and it's hard and you're going to have to deal with turnover. And as we know in business, turnover, whether it's with employees or with with customers mm-hmm. is is not a good thing you want to retain you know that's why we see a lot of these like monthly you know trying to retain people for monthly subscriptions and stuff like that um yeah. but but obviously that's a different model um Josh I'll start with you on this one what are some of the different business models that you've seen and what has worked better what hasn't worked what what where do you think what do you think in that space Oh yeah. Lots of thoughts here. So yeah. uh, for starters, the space that I ran was four pillars of revenue. I would call it. It was memberships. It was memberships. It was, uh, I, and I split these into two categories because I think they're different enough, but adult classes, youth classes, uh, and then storage. So the facility ah, storage uh, actually paid the rent, right? So there was enough people renting storage inside the facility to pay the rent of the facility, which, which was really interesting. And I don't think Many spaces do that very well. Uh-huh. Um, so that was the four pillars of revenue there. But I've since thought more about it. And there's, a, there's a couple more, right? There's grants and grant funding. Sure. There's institutions and institutional funding. Yep. And then there's, mm-hmm. and also just like kind of the institutional, the, they're just like, oh, we'll pay for all of it. It's, it's kind of a loss leader, but we know that we're going to be training the next generation of people or right. it's going to be good for our business mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever, whatever there. So right. um, one, one pillar of revenue that I, that I, I'll plug CAD class for, I mentioned you to you before we started this was um, one thing that makerspaces, like we said before, are very good at in general is like getting your hands on stuff, machines, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're actually making stuff physically doing, it. and it's hard to find anywhere else to do that. But one of the things that they don't do very well is teach online classes and the economics of online classes are, are mind blowing, right? Because you've got the whole mm-hmm. world as your audience right. and there are like CAD class, there actually are some classes that you can offer online to the world, right? But if you are operating a makerspace, I 100% guarantee you're overwhelmed. Yeah, there's too much mm-hmm. to do. Yes. So if you try to yep. branch out and actually do your own online courses, the likelihood that succeeds is really low. And I know because I'm spending my full time trying to build an mm-hmm. online course and an online community and everything that goes with it. And I know there's no way I could have made that a possibility if I were still operating, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think another side of this is like, makerspaces need good operators. They need people who, get things done and stay organized and charge people correctly and follow up on failed payments and do the grunt work. It's not easy. It's not fun. You get into this because you're a maker and you realize 0% of your time is making. It's 100% trying to keep the whole thing. Administrative. Yeah. So the the cat class model that I wanted to build in fairly early was if you're a makerspace, if you're operating something like this, let us teach your CAD classes and we'll pay you a commission on sales. You have to do nothing except say, take this class. You don't have to hire the teacher. You don't have to have them on site. You don't have to worry about canceling classes because only one student showed up and that's not right. That doesn't generate enough revenue for you to justify it. So that was one Mm -hmm. of the early things that we thought was exciting was, 
hey, what if we could just pay people to like, you know, finding clients and getting referral business is tough and we're going to have to advertise somehow. So instead of spending money on advertising on Google ads, why don't we just pay makerspaces to send students our way and we'll send them through a world-class program. They'll get more value from the equipment in the facility. They're more likely to stay yeah. because we taught them like in depth, mm -hmm. a skill that's very difficult to teach. So that's kind of another pillar is like, I think there's actually a lot of room for partnering with other online course creators, you know, CNC Kitchen's another example. I think he does online classes, right? Uh, he, I don't C... think he actually does classes uh, oh, okay. per se, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, uh, but, he, yeah, yeah. But, you know, see, anything that can be something online, I think exploring those partnerships and just yeah. saying, you know, how do we how do we run this and operate this? And there's a lot of different ways to do it. Like we can handle 100% of the work, or you can still have a private cohort that shows up to your facility. We just run it on the back end. You run through our materials. Our you don't have to develop the class, right? So that that's kind of a newer thought. I and I'm starting to get in with some makerspaces and different facilities to offer this now and, and getting some really good results from it because now the people have the skills, but, um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I love this. No, let me, let me, let me mm -hmm. stop you here for a second. There's a couple of things that just really resonate with me on that. And it reminds me of like when a lot of just, uh, you know, institutions of learning went to like e-learning, you know, COVID kind of created that and stuff. So obviously, mm -hmm. like you said, your reach is bigger, but, um, there, there's a couple of things that really jump out, right? It's like, let uh get out of our own way like we run into these problems and like you said when yep. when these facilities are actually being run by makers historically stereotypically these are people that do not like admin work they don't want to be business owners they don't want to do that and so if you mm -hmm. give them an opportunity to leverage something that already exists but more so it, it it helps with the sales and the marketing and the outreach too. So it's like you can, they can brand potentially there's branding opportunity. And so that can drive people coming in. So when you're tied to a brick and mortar location, uh, you know, we've seen time and time again, like you're really dependent on people keep coming in that door or referrals and stuff like mm -hmm. that. This is a, a great means of potential outreach. Um, and revenue and revenue you know, like, and revenue. Yeah. You get paid and don't administer. <laughs> and don't <laughs> worry the about the, thing. don't worry about the admin brutal. stuff. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. No, no, it's a good one. The you know, the other one, uh, I don't know if you mentioned maybe it kind of falls in this in the storage thing, but it's like I've seen a couple one when I was at had a uh, co working space as yeah, as, like, yeah, as I didn't another revenue that. That's model. That's a very big deal. Very um, big deal. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you this. It posed an interesting challenge because now you're mixing the and the way they did it was upstairs was a bunch of offices and then downstairs was the entire makerspace. Um and so you know, ideally you could have kind of your, a little bit of separation and close your office door, you know, if you want to put, go head down and work. But when you're mixing mm -hmm. the professionals and I've talked to, we, we met through, um, uh, a friend, uh, that, that, that experienced this as well. There's a large brain drain often that happens from these makerspaces when you go in there with yep. the idea of starting a business, because you realize mm -hmm. really quickly, like my business cannot depend on machines that may or may not be running, may or may not be available. And mm -hmm. and if I need to focus on working, I can't have the guy that just wants to be there and hanging out and chatting with me uh, all day, you know, mm -hmm. and, and then and picking apart my design and telling me why uh, I should be doing it different or better. Why, or, or, yeah, why know. it won't work. Or, right, yeah. <laughs> right. So, so that you're mixing a really weird uh, mm -hmm. subset. Uh, potentially like, like I, I, I have maker, I love, you know, doing stuff, but as I've grown my business, unfortunately I have less time to just make for fun and more time. I'm thinking about how do I make money and keep this, this flywheel <laughs> turning. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. but that goes back to like, 
you're mixing uh i don't know if i'd say oil and water but very opposing um mm -hmm. uh intense i i don't know have you experienced any of that uh with people coming in and trying to like kickstart their business uh using the makerspace equipment kind of thing Tons of it. Yeah, no, I saw. And so I saw some, I mean, most people that came into our space wanted to start their own business. So we yep. did this thing called success coaching, yep. where I just say, what, what are you, what are you hoping to achieve here? Yeah. And how can I help? Right? Like, what's, yeah. let me try to help mm -hmm. you navigate this maze of there's everything here, maze, like world of possibility, but how do we help you do it? Right. And I would say 80 to 90% wanted to start a business of some sort. Um, so yeah, def definitely a lot of folks wanting to do that. I, and I'll say, I think I'll add something to, I totally forgot about the co-working side of it. Definitely yeah. a number of spaces utilize that. Okay. It gets really tough because you're already running a handful of di very distinctly different types of facilities, right? You are a manufacturing mm -hmm. facility. Yep. So you need all the maintenance and, and stuff that goes along with running a manufacturing yeah. facility. Yep. You are in some ways, if you're running youth programs, you're in some ways like a daycare right? You are very much responsible for taking care of folks' kids. Um, if you're running adult classes, now you're an education facility, right? And if you're running memberships, well, now you're kind of like a gym, you're a membership-based organization. So yeah. you are running so many types of businesses in this that if you're going to, if you think the solution is to add another type of business, yeah, I get worried. I'm like, I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> to put it nice, not yeah. sure the people that are actually on the ground operating this are going to be able to operate anything with any real purpose unless you have a you know a person dedicated to it or a whole a whole thing dedicated to it and I could be wrong here I, I'm sure people run more businesses inside their business but I was always thinking we got to simplify this this is out of control this is like mm -hmm. this is just very very difficult to run because it's so many distinctly different things and the fear mm -hmm. was always you know like bridging out to the online class world it was like we don't have we would have lot we filmed every video we had every class we did for the youth program yeah we uh, we filmed when we shut down for COVID, and so it was like we facilities closed, and we had high hopes of like, well, maybe we can run an online class. But then as everything came back, and we're trying mm -hmm. to reopen the facility, it was like absolutely not. There's just no way. Yeah, There's yeah. no way we can't pull yeah. this off. We can't even keep our heads above water. We can't even answer the phones fast enough. Yeah, like, this yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's just yeah, it's just just outrageous. What I don't, what do you think? I, well, Andrew, why don't you jump in here? Because mm -hmm. I think we struggle. Yeah. That's a that's a fundamental business thing that we struggle with, and it's a particular mm -hmm. challenge for makers. Where it's like when things aren't going well, we just start. We we go back to relying on our. Well, let's make this. Let's make this. Let's make this. And, mm -hmm. and that's exactly. And it. you're getting mm -hmm. away from that focus, and now you're just throwing shit against the wall mm -hmm. and seeing what's sticking, and nothing. You're not doing anything particularly well. I yeah. still struggle with that. <laughs> um, and I I I, don't I, I kind of say. I kind of say it's like flailing when you're drowning, right? And <laughs> yeah. instead of, you know, focusing on, you know, making for sure you're treading water, you're just, you're thrashing about trying to like, okay, hey, you know, if I just kick my arm or, you know, kick my legs and flail my <laughs> arms faster, I'm going to keep my head above the water, yeah. right? And and I think that that's what we saw here in, you know, kind of the St. Louis area maker spaces for a while, um, you know, and in so many cases, they're still, like, you know, I always question that whole model in general. Like, I love the idea of makerspace. But what I find is for our business as we continue growing, like we're, you know, working on new products. And with those new products, we have to like prototype packaging or prototype, you know, all of these other things. And we could go to a makerspace and leverage their tools and their equipment. 
But the problem for us is, is like, that is such a disruption to our daily operation, like leaving our space, going out, going and doing these things where it's honestly more cost effective for us to actually kind of internalize a lot of these things. Even if we're only going to use our laser cutter for, you know, like a week at a time, every six months, you know, it's, it's less disruptive for us to, to go out and do that. And I've seen, you know, on that note, like with, you know, just again, being kind of a maker myself, like so many other people have like, oh, well, hey, I've got this business or I've started this business. And, you know, maybe I can have, you know, uh, like I could I could monetize my equipment, you know, in yep. some way. Yep. And, you know, then you start like getting way outside yeah. of what your focus is. And I feel like that's what essentially a makerspace, makerspace has become. It's like, you know, these makers are like, well, hey, I have this equipment. How can I monetize this? And it's like, well, I can, you know, charge a monthly fee and people can come in and use it. And then it's like, well... I got to do repairs and maintenance. So now I got to charge some, a little bit of time for that machine and, Oh, people don't want to lug their products in or their projects in and then back out. So maybe I could charge for storage. Right. It's just like all of these like little things that add up over time, which, um, which you you'll, know. and the more that you lay on there, the more admin, you know, stuff you gotta, you gotta go enforce all that stuff. I, it's so funny because I think that it's such a common journey when you're new to this whole thing. There's a couple of things like, well, I can't afford all this expensive equipment. So it seems like mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense to go to a makerspace. And 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 it does. I, I don't I'm not arguing mm -hmm. that it's not a good place to start. I think you just need to be aware of the fact that as you start to succeed, you will very quickly outgrow that yep. in terms of what mm -hmm. your business is actually going to need to continue to succeed. Because now, you know, we I talk about SWOT analysis, you know, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, you know, that that as that as you grow, you know, these, these weaknesses in the, the chinks in the armor in the makerspace become more of a threat to your business, right? I want to pause a sec and uh, highlight a comment in the chat. Uh, Ethan Coulter uh, talks about a library where he is uh, that has a makerspace and it figured out an interesting way to do online classes with physical items. For the library um, is mostly targeted to people that can swing by and pick up a box. This model can work as a shipment style too. After everyone gets their box, everyone jumps on a Zoom. So how, how are you, that's interesting. So the way I'm interpreting that is like mm -hmm. the, the, the people like can subscription actually- subscription box style stuff. Subscription yeah. box style yeah. stuff. Maybe there's some opportunity for like distribution. You know, but these, these are, these are uh, and, and a physical distribution, you know, take thing and, and pack and ship. For them i mean a library is not designed to do those things that's the other thing we didn't get into like a lot of these spaces kind of come about to like maintain relevancy of something yeah you know yeah, in a current yeah. day and age right no. a library has had to like become a computer lab and a maker space and all this oh, stuff because yes. nobody's going in there and just checking out and reading books anymore um and how that makes you feel is a whole nother, you know, story, but I'm writing a book. So I feel pretty strongly about it. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, like we're already working at a disadvantage with a lot of these things because it's like the, you know, the, there's no defined business model. There's nobody that wants to handle all the administrative stuff. You know, we don't, it all sounds good. Like Andrew's saying like, Oh, this is great. We can, we can do distribution. We can sell storage space. We can like, yeah, yeah, of course there's mm -hmm. tons of revenue opportunities, but like, what's mm -hmm. the growth lever? What's the success yep. thing over time? Um, you you kind of got to pick one or two, right? What What are you thinking? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think, uh, I mean, the library example is really interesting because that's a model we thought about, right? Because we already had, we were ninety percent of the way to kits, but then 
you really are you're limited by the sorts of things you can do so you can solder you can do arduino stuff mm -hmm. you can somewhat 3d print although usually you have to go like that's kind of weird you can you can assemble kits mm -hmm. and so there's definitely like i think the libraries that's a perfect thing you can do now that said i've spoken to a couple librarians who run these spaces and i said what's it like and the response i got from my very limited sample was i don't spend very much time in there and so therefore i don't know much about it it's like just mm -hmm. another mm -hmm. aspect of what i have to do yeah. so they may spend four hours a week and i again I am not speaking on behalf of all libraries. I've spoken to a couple people, mm, yeah. but the feeling that I got was we don't have enough time to figure out how this stuff works, to figure out a model that works to, you know, I think, I think if one library could champion that and then sell their kits to the rest of the library system and just say, Hey, we're going to build the system alongside of one another. And we're all going to, we're all going to use the same tools, the same materials, the same supplies, the same suppliers. Uh, and we're going to, we're going to really like get orderless down and storage down and and we're going to teach you how to do this like mm -hmm. i think that's an awesome model and it's totally doable and also you could do that at the library too come mm -hmm. and take the kit home or come and just like yeah. you know kind of mm -hmm. like i've been thinking a lot about the idea of like a chipotle style maker place come in like grab your stuff <laughs> i'd like, love to get like, a burrito yeah. while i was uh doing my making too yeah right yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, and I, I love that idea i think like all things makerspace, it comes down to how well can you execute it given the constraints you have. Mm -hmm. And I hope that if that if like that's another side of this is like I think a lot of institutions are overly willing to contribute money towards sort of equipment stuff, mm -hmm. and they're under committed to development. Yep. Like, yep. hey, you need Human people resources. in here like yeah. showing you how to operate this stuff, working on it on a daily basis, and like. A lot of makerspaces, this comes back to kind of a failure of makerspaces too. A lot of makerspaces that aren't formal enough will have the local woodworking guy in there teaching classes. There's no paperwork. There's no consistency. Yep. There's no there's no supplies ready to go. It's just one guy right. who's lugging stuff back and forth in his truck. And when he leaves, that's done. That's right. So there's no reproducibility. So like one thing I can say about the place I was at is we were fanatical about reproducibility. So I think, love the idea of, shipping kits home from a library. That's an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, but I think it comes down to how well you can keep it organized. Who's actually in charge of doing it? Mm -hmm. Question. question Ownership and organization. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the equipment, it's, this is true for any business too. The assets are the easy part, mm -hmm. honestly, even though it, it, <laughs> when you, when it, when you look at it, it's like, yeah, I know that sounds yep. like flippant to say like a hundred thousand dollar piece <laughs> no, of equipment, great. but it's like, yeah, when you get money and buying stuff, it's great. It's the human element, the human resources component that, that is just what you're mm -hmm. going to live or die by. Like a lot, especially when you're getting started, right? Like if you don't yep. have a good team that owns it, that is willing to do the admin, that's willing to be the junkyard dog that gets in there and be like, you got to clean up your space. It cannot be this way. You get, you get, you know, there have to be repercussions for not abiding because uh, you're, you're managing a physical community of people with all kinds of different needs and, and expectations. Um, I, I've always said I would never want to do it. Um, I think if, if I was doing something very specific and we haven't really gotten into this, I don't know what your experience is in it, but when we talk about an incubator, something that is specific hmm. to business where it's like, this whole thing exists to make money. This is a for-profit entity and we are here to nurture other businesses to get their 
start, an accelerator, an incubator. We've heard them called multiple things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a model where that that can work, but given the requirements of of many businesses, especially those that are making things, right, product based businesses, mm-hmm. I think at first, like Andrew was saying. The notion of of monetizing, like, well, if I get the laser and I can share, because I only, you know, I have capacity, mm-hmm. right? The rental car model or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, it sounds great, but mm-hmm. ultimately you're gonna like there's there's ego involved. You get people that are like, I'm an engineer, I can work anything, and then they break it, and then who owns <laughs> mm-hmm. it and who has to pay to fix Classic. it? Yeah. Right. So I, I wonder if there is a model, if there is a success model potentially where there are common tool sets, 3D printing, CNC, you know, there are some mm-hmm. pretty good low hanging fruit, but it's like, do those, do those machines need to be managed by like an op, a trained operator? Like, do you, do you set it up like a job shop that then the mm-hmm. members get priority uh, access to, to getting quoted for, but they're still paying and they're not the ones that are using the machine and they're not the ones that maintain the machine. So it's really just kind of a priority queue uh, a job mm-hmm. shop kind of thing, if that makes sense. I don't know. What do you think? Is that anything you guys have seen or heard before? Is that is there something to uh, that? I've actually heard of something similar. So back when, you know, in, in my previous life with my previous startup, we were building hardware server appliances. And, you know, as I've mentioned many times before, we were, you know, private equity and then venture backed. So, you know, we went out, we raised money. Sure. As a part of those pitches, we actually were out, you know, in the, you know, uh, Bay Area, kind of, you know, West Coast where Silicon Valley, you know, exists. And there were a few like hard. Yeah, there were there were a few hardware accelerators or you know, incubators, if you will. And I believe how they actually worked, it was a really interesting model. They would invest in the company and the, you know, the investment came with basically access to their professional machinists and shops and companies that they had worked with on other companies uh-huh. uh, that they have either started. So some were like PC computer boards, some were, you know, machinists. And basically you would say, hey, these are the things that I'm trying to develop. And they would work, you know, they would set up, negotiate the meetings. It wasn't like a makerspace, but it was really just like, this is how we're going to connect you. And we're going to help you build this up and turn this into a functioning business. Um, You know, so it was like a a step removed, if you will. Well, and I think think that's like a really important, like the, (laughs) the difficult thing with building physical products is usually Mm -hmm. not making the product. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I view that as kind of a solvable problem. Like there are yeah. definitely mm-hmm. some very complex, I, oh, I, don't, sure. I don't mean to say that it applies <laughs> to everything, but the vast majority of the issues I saw when it came to trying to make a business that works in, in some kind of physical hardware is mm-hmm. business. Yep. What, you know, nice, you have your product, but like, do you have distribution? Yeah. How are you mm-hmm. going to sell this? Have yeah. you written a copy? Do you have a website? Did you, what around, like you've done 10% of the work, let's say. Yeah. The other 90% mm-hmm. is all the stuff that's in the background that yeah. actually pertains to trying to run a business. And that's way different. And so I think you, we, we got a lot of folks who came in really wide-eyed, right? Ah, oh, I'm going to do it, right? And now I've got access yeah. to the equipment. Yeah. And, and they very often left disappointed, I think, and I didn't even always get to have those conversations yeah. 
primarily because it's like, oh, wow, well, I can make it, but like now I've made a thing. Like, how do I go from mm-hmm. made thing to. Yeah, I say that, that all the time. Making one thing and making 10,000 thing. things is a completely different animal. Yeah, and- so it's almost like the you can find access to the equipment. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure the mm-hmm. equipment is a limiting factor there. And then, you know, I, I've just also not seen it. I, I know um, Tim Keller of Inventopia is kind of doing something like that. I would put his in this category. He's got a wet lab, which is really interesting. So he's got a bio lab. And I've, he's got I've a bunch been of there. I've met him. There. Yeah. And it's awesome. And yeah. so I would call him, I would say of the people doing it, he's one of them. And he's never paid himself. He <laughs> operates this thing because he really enjoys it. And I'm like, yep. Oops, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's gonna burn you out at some point, right? Like he, he yeah. makes his money developing his own products. That was a um, really unique again, sp- space when uh, when we were doing the facial production thing. I went down there and they were doing some of that stuff as well, and it was completely different from anything I'd ever walked into. Totally, yeah. So it was neat. Um, yeah, shout out Tim. Um, yeah. Uh, let me let me hit a couple more things, uh, comments and questions uh, for you guys to get your so- thoughts. Uh, David Wheeler, hey David. Good to see you. Uh, asks, is there a way to operate a makerspace that's more focused, not trying to cater to a, everyone? So we just kind of talked about one thing mm-hmm. in terms of like focusing on business. What's another subset of of a maker group if you're trying to focus on a maker space? Maybe call you know Andrew. I think alluded to like there's a hacker space model. Like to me, when I hear hacker space, I'm thinking more software, electronics development, kind of that kind of thing. That's a that's a com- Mm-hmm. I want to say completely different because there's obviously the, on the Venn diagram of makers, like a lot of what makes us makers is that oh, yes. co- like massive overlap of Venn diagrams, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. we, we it's part of what makes the space endearing that it's like, oh, it's got a cool electronics lab. It's like it, it's what we all wish that our lab, you know, our space could be in our garage where it's like mm-hmm. I got my wood shop. I got my metal shop. I got my, you know, I'm like, mm. but really, I'm not going to use all those things. So if we're talking about focusing, though. Are we better off not trying to be everything to everyone and catering to specific needs? So we talked about business. What's another segment that there might be a successful, sustainable model for? I think business because I'm like, money makes the world go round. We need that income to keep this mm-hmm. thing going. Um, but it's not the it's not the only way. There's obviously other things but i don't know josh what's your experience been with that i think there's an insatiable appetite for kids classes classes so education kids specifically kids because specific. yes uh, you know this this was pulled out of schools this was pulled out of you know we, it, people that make things understand the value of it and people that don't make things also understand the value of it right like at the end mm-hmm. of the day we're all makers you all make you make something you cook you everybody makes yep. something. so we know the importance of it and i know parents are eager put their money towards their kids' education. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it does not very space intensive, one to 2000 square feet and scale down facilities with everything on wheels. Um, and you could, you could jam out some pretty successful youth programs. I think youth programs is where I would focus if I were building something mm-hmm. specific. I like that. Um, and I would start with the things like every kid's favorite class is tends to be woodshop. Right? Yep. Get them in woodshop mm-hmm. and just run, 12 weeks of woodshop classes inside a small facility or a parking lot, right? You, you put some easy ups up and you wheel your equipment out and you have a generator and you've got yourself a woodshop in a parking lot. And maybe that's tied to a museum. So you don't like thinking outside of like, do I need space? Um, that's one thought I have in terms of focus on stuff. I think there's a lot of also like electronics lab, robotics, um, you know, people, people want to come in and tinker in that very specific way. It's not very equipment intensive, right? You don't need you again. You could probably just rent without, 
buying a facility, you could probably just rent space once or twice a week and start with some classes and just get people together and making mm -hmm. stuff and seeing kind of where it goes from there. Um, so electronics is easy to scale. Mm. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, I think you're exactly right on the kids' classes. Like we here in St. Louis have this organization called the Magic House, and it's <laughs> literally it's literally just a bunch of science experiments. That's it, yeah. and it's really targeted for kids. And the part of the, so the reason why our makerspace exists now um, is because you know they focused on really that education piece. And so our makerspace is at the bottom floor of what they call, uh, I think it's made at the magic house. And it's, you know, this, you know, place where you can take your children to, and they have those classes, they have all sorts of experiments that the children can run and be involved with. And then, you know, as they're growing and, you know, educating themselves, there's the makerspace down below. And we've seen, you know, it hasn't been around long enough to see that, that perfect transition yet, but there are definitely the older kids on the spectrum, you know, in the you know, high school where they're starting to branch out and use the laser cutter downstairs or, or whatever it might be for their little projects. So oh, and they're I, very I capable, agree. but mm -hmm. actually what's, yeah. I, this is really, and I know, uh, uh, Josh, I'll just, I, I know we're starting to run long. Uh, so, you know, we'll be respectful Fine. of time. Yeah, just wanna, just this. Want to, we, all, we always do because we get into the conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. and and the chat's starting mm -hmm. to fly too. Uh, one thing nice. I wanted to just ping really quick, which I think is good. Uh, when we were talking about focus, Ethan says, okay, okay. It's decided I'm going to get super specific and do a droid depot. And I'm like, yeah, that is a cool yeah. idea. Mm -hmm. Right. Heck like yeah, when, that's when we, go, yeah. when we go to these, uh, these cons now, I mean, there are whole so, communities yeah. of people that are just droid building and it is mm -hmm awesome right awesome. it resonates it's yep. like it it's uh um it, you you get to the top of your level you can get into like prop building and do you know professionally for hollywood Amazing. and stuff that is a fantastic thing to focus on and, and there can is i just a say too that there. like as yeah. you scale these education programs right yeah. like i had to end up trying to hire instructors that knew wood metal laser they don't nobody knows all that stuff i had yeah, yeah, yeah. i had the the former chief designer at mazda came in Ooh. he was in his 60s i hired him and it was still he was still drinking from the fire hose and he's done this stuff his whole life and i'm like yeah man it, there just aren't people who for the most part there aren't people who have all these skills so if you if you can focus down on one in particular yeah it simplifies everything and yeah. it also mm -hmm. you you know how this goes the deeper you go the broader it becomes right so right. it can mm -hmm. become everything right but if yep. you start narrow and go deep i think that's better than yep. starting broad and trying to yep. then narrow down as you go mm -hmm. Certainly, less i completely agree brain. with that the, the educate the kids specific education is brilliant i'd love to hear if if you guys have come across places that do it well brit uh, in the chat is saying like you know nyc will throw money at all kinds of kids education programs so there's there's money for it it's obviously yeah, a yeah. huge market right like parents yeah. will spend mm -hmm. insane amounts of money to you know uh supplement their kids education and experience and when you get hands-on with stuff I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's great. The other thing is kids are way more moldable. Like if I'm, if I'm thinking about like putting a space together and managing the ones that are in it, and if they're kids are like, they're going to be, and again, you know, you're going to have punks and stuff, but they're more moldable. Mm -hmm. They're, 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 they're yeah. more malleable. They're more trainable. If you, you're instilling good organization and values and, and safety protocol and all of that stuff, you're going to have a, a much easier time probably with that than you would with adults. Josh, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? You've worked with both subsets there. It's, it's tough when you get into people that are just a little bit more like, oh, I, I know how to do this. There's a lot more ego yeah. in the adult 
space. Yeah, there's tons of ego in the adults. And I think that's the trick as an adult is to try to, if you, you got to put yourself back in the, in the kid mindset, right? The, the mm -hmm. beginner's mindset kind of thing, right? But it's very hard to do. I think, uh, yeah, kids are definitely moldable and curious and they're all, I mean, the nice thing about those programs is they're there because they really want to be there. Yep. Adult side of it, usually you're taking a class because you have to, hmm. um, or uh, the other side of it is there are a subset of folks who take classes because they're genuinely interested. So we handled that. We'd have sign-off classes and then we'd have skill builder classes. And those were two very distinct categories. Yeah. Sign-off yeah. classes, I just need to get through this and understand how this operates inside of this space and get to know not just the machinery and get signed off by the instructor, but like, how does this all really work? Right. Yeah. So get signed off three hours, you're done. But the other side of that was skill builders. And for the skill builders, those folks were always interested. Yeah. And they were, they had that beginner's mindset. They were really curious. And so yeah. I think it just mm -hmm. depended on what you came in with. Right. Mike, Mike, think, the, Oh, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, no, no. I was going to say, I think, uh, you know, kind of expanding on the education courses, like yeah. one of the cool things here in St. Louis, we also have, things for adults specifically targeted at adults um there's a i think it's a uh i'm not sure if it's a chain or like a large organization but they're called the craft alliance and what they do is they actually have um classes where you can go and learn how to do pottery where you can do woodworking you can do um you know wood turning that sort of stuff mm -hmm. and these are like 12 16 week long courses kind of like a trade you know if you will where you go in and you know they, they will teach you one-on-one -on -one. Um, you know, and I see, I see that just continuing to expand. Like, I think they announced that they're like opening up even more classes because, you know, like makers, like we, we want to learn and we, we not, we just don't know exactly where to start. We have this idea. And I think that, you know, having this, this foundation to, you know, basically this is the path we're going to go through these steps. Uh, and then at yeah. the end of it, you know, you're going to ho hopefully have a new skill, you yeah. know? Um, I think that's incredible. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple of things all in the same line here that I want to hit on really quick. Mike, <laughs> never let the machine lens shout out. Mike uh, says rent and insurance costs have ended a lot of maker spaces in this area. Um, I have something to say about that. And and I, I think I, you, let me let me get there and I think yeah. let's see if we come to the same space. Yeah. And I've seen the mobile thing. Okay, the, the, the food mm -hmm. truck model, and you talked about it uh, more cl closer to the top of the show. <laughs> I have something to say about that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, when, when we think about, especially kids' education too, uh, a lot of times a great uh, way is like, how do you get in with the schools, right? So it's like we've seen all kinds of interesting programs and there's all kinds of hunger for um, extracurriculars and stuff and, and partnerships in, in your, you know, your local schools for, for um, having additional curriculum that's outside of what they might, might do. Is a mobile variant of this viable or maybe some combination of the two, you know, what, what are your, what are your thoughts there, Josh? Yeah, I don't think, um, so I, I ran and operated a mobile makerspace that we did woodshop. Well, we did everything we did in the, in the shop we did on our mobile makerspace. Okay. And it nearly broke me. It nearly it broke you. Okay. So elaborate. Insanely challenging. Okay. Because, tell, tell us why. You know, I'm driving a truck and a 25, no, a 40 foot trailer, right? So I'm Oof. driving a truck, a trailer, hooking it up in the morning. I'm having to load up all the tools and supplies the night before. Physically We're teaching intensive. about a hundred kids. Okay. The course of the day. Okay. And it's all outside. That was two days a week. Okay. And I get up, I'd probably get up at five in the morning and I wouldn't get home till six 30, seven o'clock at night. Okay. Um, and it was back to back to back classes with a little break for lunch, 10 minutes in between. And it's just, it was as hard and as fast as I could work wow. to try to keep up with it. And it's expensive. Okay. Right. So who pays for it? Yep. 
is question number one. Like it's definitely didn't make mm -hmm. a business sense for us to drive a truck and trailer out to teach for an hour to make a hundred bucks. No, of it's course like, not. We need to make a, a we, we need to be able to pay everybody, pay the overhead that goes into sustaining this program, supporting yeah. the tools, doing all those sorts of things, and then make a profit on top of that. Yeah. So in terms of the profit model of that, yeah, not so viable, in my opinion. And so, I think if you could find a way to put, um, and this is something that I've been noodling around in my head with for a little while, but if you could find a way to put down just, uh, I'm going to plop a wood shop down in your parking lot, right? Like let's put a temporary structure up or, or a permanent structure. Let's get a shipping container pack it with tools and supplies and, and bring the local guy in to teach classes here in the afternoons. Like that's a sustainable model because you're not carrying things back and forth all mm -hmm. the time, but it still needs mm -hmm. somebody to, to stock it sure. and operate it. Uh, but I thought, yeah. I think the, the mobile model, at least the way that we ran it, trying to run like really robust classes, we did it for, I did it for five years, you know, like twice a week for five years. Uh, it was very challenging. We ended up closing that arm of the business down. I th actually, I think they did just after I left. Um, COVID kind of destroyed it. We, we just didn't have the numbers to justify. Yeah. Right? Needed, like I said, we needed about 100 kids a day charging what we were charging, which was uh, for a series of 12 classes. It was like 500 bucks a kid, something yeah. like 450, something yeah. like that. So more, um, more of an after school or something. No, that was during. Not... So that was with homeschoolers. So we would go and we, we okay. would plop mm. it down at a, at a at sort of like a homeschool campus where they'd invite vendors in yep. and then invite, right. And we, so we'd set up there and that was like the only place that we had enough distribution to justify. And I got interest over the years. Sure. Hey, can you bring it here? Hey, can we do that? And I always had to be like, I'm so sorry, but I, you, it doesn't work with 20 kids. I can't do right. it. Right. You so know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm hearing a couple of interesting things about that. And I'm wondering too, like one, the tool set that you choose. So if you're going with wood shop, like these are big, heavy mm -hmm. equipment and you need a variety a lot of the time. I've done a couple things. And again, this was just more for like, I was donating my time, but it's like, I brought a couple printers that I could throw in the back yeah. of my car, yeah. brought into a class um, and, you know, did that for my kids and stuff like that. And obviously that was, so, you know, m maybe there's subsets in a different way, but, but obviously focusing on like, is there budget allocating to this? Like, you know, the, the homeschooling thing is interesting because my kids did do that. And there's a lot of money that's allocated for, because it's designed to be a broad curriculum and not focused on being in the classroom, the way that the dollars are divided up for that is a little bit different. So building the business case for that, I think is like finding the right customer, like just going to a public school, um, who, mm -hmm. you know, if they don't have budget allocated for this, like it's not going to work versus, you know, uh, some of these homeschooling programs where they're like, yeah, we do have stuff carved out for, uh, different types of learning opportunities. So that that's, that's really interesting. And thank you for sharing that experience because I think it's one of those things that we all think, Oh, that sounds awesome. Food truck model. You know, when, when I was mm -hmm. in Prague, it sounds sexy, right? It sounds yep. really great. When I was in Prague at um, Maker Fair Prague 2018 or 19 now, there, there was one of those that have, it was just the 3D printing truck. You know, the, the doors opened up, you know, tailgate folded down. There was a couple printers in there. And it was like, yeah, you could walk through it and all that stuff. It was kind of neat. I don't know how it's really, if it was monetized or if it was just more of a thing that somebody was showing off. Um, if it's something that's usable to you and you can transport it, or if it, if it's a means of bringing people into your facility, so are, is it more sales marketing outreach and awareness, you know, there's some value there. So it just kind of depends on how you're modeling that, uh, that structure. Maybe. I don't know. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I, yeah, I, I haven't seen a lot of long-term successful models there. Well, and I, but again, you know, I'm like, I'm limited. I'm here in California and my, I'm totally. trying to broaden my scope. So totally no, no offense to people who are like, I'm running a very successful one, you know, like, no, I'm no, sure no. I can work. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, I think it works even like as an advertising channel. It's really interesting. Yeah. Right? Like it's, it is, it does get eyeballs on stuff. If again, this idea of a loss leader, if you're a company or if you're a yeah. school or if you're a district or you're something like that, and you're trying to sh- do the new shiny fun mm-hmm. thing, yep. then you may need to yep. take a loss on some of this stuff and recognize that it's part of the marketing budget and not part of the operations. That's budget. exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah. right. We've talked about that on other aspects of our business too. Like I, I sold mm-hmm. filament. I still do. We're almost done with it now, but like that, that's always been a loss leader for me. We use mm-hmm. that as our Trojan horse to sell the containers and stuff, uh, the storage yep. boxes. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, I'll sell, filament at cost basically just so i can slap a sticker on it that says hey you got the filament now like you know protect it with the rep box or something like that <laughs> yeah 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 um yep. but but you have to have that mentality and you're yes you're exactly right this is a marketing advertising line item this is not an income uh, uh stream necessarily so yeah and you, you can off, you can offset some of those costs you can definitely yeah. run classes out of it uh but i think going in with the mentality that this is maybe not going to be the most right. profitable thing we do right um i've been thinking about mm-hmm. this idea of like different distinct styles of making in a box. Like if you could just order it, plop it down, bang, here's what you need, tools, materials, supplies, and everything. Yeah. And then shop in a you box. identify the instructor and now you're high school and you've got a wood shop back on campus because it's all built for you. I've, I've, right. I've had this mm-hmm. exact conversation in the but past. It, the containers, everything is containerized, but the idea yeah. of like pre, mm-hmm. you know, like where you can pre-wire it, you can do all the ducting, the venting, the electrical, all that stuff. And then you can have wood shop in a box. You can have 3D printing in a box. You can have, you know, and, and, and then it can be modular. I love modular stuff, but obviously mm-hmm. the CapEx for that uh you know to get that started and all that stuff yeah. is, is massive yeah. i think it's i think it's a cool idea i'll bet you anything we start seeing it at some point yeah um, no I've, and i've seen some i'm actually already starting to see some early iterations of it with a couple of shops mm-hmm. i've been talking with so that's cool i'd love to hear more about that yeah. in, the, in the future because i think that's got great application not just in like anybody that might just want to you know plop a prefabbed shop down and not have to make their own but uh, when we, we talk about distributed manufacturing and how great that could be, I mean, our world runs on containers, right? And so mm-hmm. if, if you can literally set up distributed fabrication where it's like everybody's using a unified tool set, plop down my printer box, one over at you know, Andrew's neighborhood and all that stuff, and then now we've got manufacturing as close as possible to where product needs to be. I think there's all kinds of cool mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I've got a, a couple of my friends run Vantopia, and they, they actually have a very successful business out of a makerspace. Um, and they do CNC van build kits, and they're build, they've just built uh, out a, a CNC truck. That's so they're like, sweet. they've actually built some robust, they're like, hey, what if, you know, what if worst case scenario, you know, this place closes down or they're whatever, right? Up, the CNC breaks or all yeah, the things yeah, yeah, that you're yeah. talking about, right? Yeah. So they put it all in a truck and they're building out a mobile CNC unit that they can just run out of a truck. We see it in healthcare. A lot of the uh, like MRI mm-hmm. systems are out of trailers yep. and stuff. MRIs, like PT scans. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I think there's, uh, there's definitely room for stuff like that. Like, again, like bite off a little bit less, do something very specific. Focus. Like, yeah. That's interesting. No, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I know we could go on forever on this, but we got to let people go about their days. Uh, Josh, I want to thank you big time for sharing your experience. Yes. Uh, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We're going to have to have you back on as uh, we get closer to book launch so we can talk more about CAD work and stuff like that. I mean, y- y- you know, we could just chat forever. Um, 
everybody in the chat, if you're still with us, thank you so much. Uh, if I didn't get to call out your comment or your question, I apologize. It's a, uh, it's always a juggling act, you know, trying to stay involved in the conversation. Uh, <laughs> you're better than this. I. I can't do that. But uh, <laughs> you can't even look. But we do appreciate you. We do appreciate you being here and your thoughts and your mm -hmm. uh, your commentary. It just makes it fun and interesting and educational for all of us. So thank you so much. Thank uh, you guys so much. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, and and we will be back yet again. So don't don't fear. We're going to stop now, but we'll be back next Friday. We're going to have uh, – I'll tease it right now. We're going to have David Shorey with us, uh, prolific designer, uh, amazing maker, mm -hmm. Uh, he's getting involved in some hardcore AI model training, uh, custom application stuff around stable diffusion. He, that, that guy is just amazing. He's always got his hands in, in some interesting stuff. So we're going to dive in on some AI stuff next week, which is going to be awesome. And uh, and then we've got a great lineup coming up uh, in in May and June as well uh, from a lot mm -hmm. of the people we've talked to at some of the events uh, Andrew and I will be briefly at Rapid uh, next week. So if anybody mm -hmm. in the Chicago area is going to be at Rapid, uh, please you know come find me and, and say hi. We're we're looking forward to that. That's more of an industrial uh, additive conference uh, and stuff at McCormick Place. So shout out to the Rapid team for that. That's going to be awesome. Yep. And uh, we will catch all the rest of you uh, maker extraordinaires. Uh, hopefully on the next one. <laughs> Uh, everybody have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Bye.